Hey everyone, welcome to Brown Breakdown, season one finale. I'm your host, Apoorva Gandetti. Every episode, I get to sit down with South Asian artists of all types at all different levels of their careers to understand the tools necessary to build a life as an artist. We'll be talking about everything from turning a hobby into a career, obstacles along the way, breaking tired stereotypes, and changing the media landscape to be more inclusive. My guest today is Nadia Anwar. Nadia is an NBC casting assistant who is passionate about working with actors and understands the actor's journey. Nadia first discovered her love for TV, film, and comedy at a young age when she saw Mike Myers perform in Sprockets on SNL. She would often entertain her family by doing her best to emulate his performance. She has written and performed for two diverse sketch comedy groups in LA, The Color Collective and The Bajency. In addition to writing and casting her own work, she wrote for a Snapchat channel called Ranker and for the CBS Diversity Showcase in 2018. Nadia also wrote and produced her own web series, Patel Gating, a reality TV parody about an Indian family, which came out before Bravo TV's Family Karma, for those wondering. Nadia strives to help make the industry more diverse and inclusive behind and in front of the camera. Hi, Nadia. Welcome to Brown Breakdown. Hi, thank you for having me, Apoorva. I'm so excited. No, I'm so excited. It's great to meet you. I feel like I've there's so many people that I've interviewed that I've never met them in person and we just connected online and we jump into these conversations deep about their life and it's really fun. That's awesome that you are doing this, especially since, you know, nothing's happening right now. It's good to be productive and you're killing it. So this I'm excited. <laughs> thank you for having oh, me. Oh my God. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you're so right about like having having something to do because I feel like I reached a point but I think like in the fall of the pandemic when things were not looking hopeful where I was just like wow I'm really bored mm-hmm. and I want to meet people and talk to them we have a lot of time right now we're not driving <laughs> pre-pandemic because you're in LA how much time do you feel like you spent driving around oh my god like Four to five hours a day. <laughs> yeah. Four to five hours? Okay, where, where where does that four to five hours go? It's traffic. Like, okay, my first, the first office I worked at for casting, I had to drive an hour there and an hour back every day. And depending on traffic, it could be an hour and a half, hour 40 minutes sometimes. I lived on the east side and it was in the west side. <laughs> it's a while. Where do you live? I live in Chicago. Oh, really? <gasps> I'm getting married in Chicago this July. In Niles. My mom lives in Skokie. So, and she's kind of older. So she's just like, can you just do it at a banquet hall nearby the house? I'm like, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. And I'm sure it'll be beautiful and like way more bang for your buck than whatever is in LA too. So were you born and raised in Chicago? Yes. I was born and raised in the city. Actually. I went to the school called Mather in high school. What neighborhood did you grow up in? Near Devon, Chicago North side. And then like 20 minutes from Lincoln. Wood, cl- very close to Devon area. Growing up, do you feel like, did you know back then that you definitely wanted to work in entertainment or was there like a certain, a certain moment in your life or some kind of like show that you watched that made you feel like, oh, that's what I want to do? This question is so funny because like, I know people have these deep answers, but my answer is so funny. Like I was maybe five or six or seven. I don't remember. And I was watching Barney and I was like, how come I don't see anyone that looks like me on this show? Like, I swear to God, I was watching Barney and I was like, I want to be on Barney. 
And my sister was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm serious. There's a big age gap with my um, sisters and I, between my sisters and I, I have two older sisters. It's like nine years and seven years. I had like three moms. They were always like coddling me. And I was like, I'm going to be on Barney. <laughs> and like, I would be like, please record Barney. But yeah, no, that was, that was when I was like, I'm going to freaking find like a place for myself on, on the screen. Yeah. And then I watched, oh, my father, the hero. Katherine Heigl was in it. And I don't okay. know why I was obsessed with this movie as a kid. And I was like, God, I wish I could be in that movie. I wish I could be Katherine Heigl. <laughs> and I think I was Back like tw- then. 12. Yeah, yeah. Very. I knew at an early age, I like to be in the center of attention. I'm the youngest. Me too. I mean, it's just like a thing. It's part of being the youngest. <laughs> and then of course, that was like, I'm going to be a lawyer. Like when you're older, you're like, okay, but you know, and you're in a brown family, you're like, what are you going to do, doctor or lawyer? And you're like, oh, I'm, I guess I'm gonna be a lawyer. <laughs> I'd pursued that for like, what, of time being. And then in high school, there was a program called Gallery 37. My high school, now it, it's a lot better. But my high school was bad. Like it was not a good high school. It didn't have the resources. It was it had a lot of crime. They didn't have a theater program. But if you got good grades, you could take the train to downtown Chicago. And they created this program. I don't know the city did it or some like someone amazing did it. And the facilities were insane. Like they were so nice. And they had a theater program, a dance program. It was basically for underfunded high schools. And all these kids would come and we would go and like be able to be artists. And that was like sophomore year. I was like, I still love this thing. And did that after school or not after school program, but that high school program have any connection to Columbia College? I don't know. It might now. But I don't remember at the time. I think what led me to Columbia was like Googling schools. But you know what? To be honest, I don't know if Gallery 37 still exists anymore. After high school and after doing this program, how did you know that you wanted to go to Columbia and pursue acting while in college? So I didn't. I was like, I'm not going to do that. Like, it's not realistic. And so I went to community college and I was getting my general education and I was going to do law again. I was like, I'm, I'm going to do law. Even though I did the theater stuff in high school, I was like, you know, that was just for fun. For two years, I was taking my gen eds. And then it came time to decide again, you're going to start taking your core classes. And that's when I just it was still eating at me. Like, mm, I still want to try this. Oh, and I think it was right about the time that the office came up and that Kelly Kapoor's character was like, so then seeing Mindy Kaling up there and just being like, you know, like she did it. It's possible. Like, come on, let's just, I'm just going to go for it. And I've always been like, life's too short. Life's too short. Like that's been my motto. So I'm like, life's too short. Just if it doesn't work out, you can always do this. I don't want to give myself all the credit, but like, I know my mom was not about it. (laughs) I know my sisters were not about it. I don't know who was in my life that was like, just go for it. And if you don't, if it doesn't work out, you can always go back and do something else, you know? So then my third year of college, I went to Columbia. I was a little bit behind though. I was like two years older than everyone else. I don't know what happened. I just, my, I took my classes slow or I, maybe I was just fighting it, you know? And so I just kept taking general classes until I was like, oh, I got to pull the plug. I was almost not going to go. Actually, one of my college counselors, when he was like, 
talking to me in the beginning and like, so what do you want out of Columbia? Like da, 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 da. And I was like, well, eventually I just want to go to Hollywood. Like I want to go to Hollywood, not even LA. I was like, I'm going to Hollywood. (laughs) And he was like, so why don't you go now? And I'm like, because I have to get a degree. And he's like, no, you don't. And I'm like, no, 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 I do. My mom is requiring that. (laughs) Even though I was like 23 or 22, of course, because we're brown, it's like, no, my mom's telling me I have a degree. My mom's telling me I have to have a degree. So I'm going to have to go get the degree. He's like, but you really don't need it. (laughs) Like, I mean, you don't, but you do. Cause like, the job I have now, I don't think I would have that if I didn't have the degree. So I don't know. And I was going to ask you, like, what what are your general feelings about BFA programs? I got a lot out of it going to school. I didn't have, like I said, in high school, I didn't have a proper theater program. Like I had to go on the train. It was like exhausting. I don't even think I did it senior year. So I feel like I benefited from the bachelor program. Also, because I didn't grow up in an artsy family. I didn't have all the like writing. I mean, my actually, I take that back. My sister did used to write songs and play play on the piano. That was like the extent like we weren't like performing in my house. So it depends on the person because there are families where you're like singing and dancing and acting at the house. And in that case, you probably don't need to go to a college program, you probably should just start coming to LA and auditioning. I mean, depending on what you want to do with your life or going to Chicago and you know, or New York or Atlanta. But for me, I needed it. And I learned a lot of core things about acting, about writing, about film, TV, everything. Yeah, I totally agree. And whether it's like a BFA program or something else, like, yeah, you need to take like a class. It it seriously just depends though, because I hate being that person who's like, take a class, take a class, because you could be doing standup every night. Maybe you don't need to take a class. You know, I don't know. Well, maybe you are performing in sketch comedy every day. Maybe you have a team already. Maybe you're already posting videos online performing. Like, I don't think, I don't think Lily took a class, Lily Singh. Sometimes you just got to do it, do it and don't be afraid to fail. Because one of the things that I learned along this whole journey was start practicing honing on your tools and practicing. And I guess, yeah, that you do that in class, but if you don't have the money or whatever, then I don't Mm -hmm. want to tell people like, oh, you're not going to succeed in this industry because you can't afford a class. Like that's the type of stuff that I would hear. And then you like go broke. I mean, I must have spent over 20 grand on stuff like that. And that's in addition to my degree. I hear what you're saying. Cause like there is the opportunity to learn by doing, you just have to be the, be a person who is like willing to do that as well to like learn by doing. Because sometimes it's like the comfort of a class. That's is- the problem. We you have we have to get out of our comfort zones. And I'm when I say this stuff, I'm talking to myself because I am the same freaking way. I'm like, mm. okay, well, I'm gonna take a class now. Like I want to write more, and I I have written, but I always think I'm not good enough to write. So then I'm like, I need to take a class, and then I take the class, and it's the same thing. I'm not practicing after the class is over, so I'm not getting any better. Yeah, it is doing. I, yeah, I would agree with you. You can learn by doing. So after college, did you spend any time like immersing yourself in the Chicago community or were you like straight to Hollywood I go? I did. I did off-Broadway plays because back then I thought I was a dramatic actress. I was like, I don't really. And then actually I did audition for an improv group and I got to the callbacks. It was for a Columbia College like improv group. And then I got to the callbacks and then they didn't, I didn't get cast. And I never... I don't think to this day I take rejection well, so I never like tried again for that. 
<laughs> so then I was like, I'm not that funny. I mean, in classes, I would be funny, but like, I just never thought I was funny enough. So I just never did it. So then I did do a lot of off Broadway, like, not a lot, but I did a handful of off Broadway plays. I stayed in Chicago for a year. But the plan had always been that I wanted to go to LA. Once you got to LA, how did you find your footing? And like, where did you even start? Because it's, you know, this huge city, it's overwhelming. You're really young when you moved. Yeah, I was like 24 and I was immature. <laughs> so it was, it was so hard. For two years, I hated it. I hated being in LA. I worked like three jobs when I first got out here. And then I realized, okay, well, I'm going to have to start working at a restaurant because that was the thing. Like everyone's like, you're not going to be able to afford a thing out here. I never took the other route of like doing admin work when I probably could have or should have because I was like, no, I need my days for auditions. You know, like I'm going to be auditioning during the day. So I need my, like I need to work nights. So I did, I started serving and I don't recommend it. <laughs> if there's anyone who is thinking about coming here, unless you're really highly disciplined, then then do it. In general, it was a very hard, hard transition. I didn't find my footing, I want to say, for like three or four years. Traveling out here and going to, there's so much nature, going hiking. And so that helped, I think. I think that's probably what has kept me here so long as well. And also just wanting to make a change in this industry. It's, it's easy. It's easy to give up. How did you stop yourself from giving up in those moments? God, I don't know, God. I think just because I'm so invested, like I've invested so much of my life and I enjoy it so much. If I didn't enjoy it, then it probably would have been wrapped a long time ago. I, there's nothing else in this entire world that I like doing more than dissecting a movie or dissecting a TV show or criticizing why brown people are not on TV. <laughs> like that's, that's just <laughs> yeah. my passion. There's nothing that fires me up more than that. I mean, maybe civil rights and like humanity, but other than that, like, you know, and that's all kind of ties into it, doesn't it? Because like us not being represented has to do with like humanitarian stuff. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, I can like hear the passion and like that, just like how strongly you want to make a change, like in your voice so strongly. And like, it's really <sighs> incredible to hear. Like I was, I, you know, when you can just hear it in someone's voice. Honestly, you're right. What kept me here was going to like watch theater or probably the classes. I guess it is what kept me interested because, okay, this is what I will say about classes. You do meet other like-minded people mm -hmm. in, in classes. And so that does keep you engaged. It keeps you motivated. If you surround yourself with, I mean, these people went out of their way to take a class. So clearly there's something about them that is invested. Being surrounded by that type of energy. I've always dated actors and I've always... I've just always been around actors. <laughs> so I just, I think that's what it is too. Like I always kept myself around it. I mean, and there's going to be moments of catastrophe and moments of when you take breaks. Like I think my dad died right when I moved out here too. So like I had to like wow. go back for a few. Yeah, it was like so tragic. What kept me here too is like, what am I going to do in Chicago? Like I just 
was like, what am I going to go do back in Chicago? Like, that's how I felt. Even though I know, like, there is the arts there. And now I, sometimes I think about it now. I'm like, now I could move back. And I get so excited. But I think also I lacked confidence. I was, like, not confident in my abilities. So being in Chicago, like, where everyone's kind of really, really talented. In LA, you can kind of get away with not being <laughs> as good. Just because it's not everyone's doing it out here, right? Everywhere you turn, everyone's doing it here in LA, like the cashiers trying to be famous, the, you know, postman's probably trying to be famous, the cop is like, everyone's an actor out here. So you can kind of just get lost and not be too visible. I think that's probably what Mm. kept me in LA as well. Like I can hide a little bit. Yeah. And also what you said about just like knowing why you're doing it and like just returning to that purpose of why you're doing the thing in those times of why am I doing it? Oh, yeah, because like I want to make a change here. Mm-hmm. I've only been doing it for like a year and a half, two years, but I, I feel like I have to remind myself of why. I also think early on you ask yourself those questions and you probably will ask yourself those questions for a long time until one day with time you just stop asking yourself the question and you're like, I'm doing it. That's all I want to (laughs) do. Also because our culture looks down on it so much. So it's not easy staying in it. Right. It's not like we're doing it for like the clout at home. Nope. We're not getting that at home. (laughs) I mean, I work as a casting assistant for NBC and my family is like, so do you have insurance? And I'm like, no. Oh, but you're like, hello, I'm a casting assistant at NBC. NBC. Like, yeah. Once you had, you know, spent a couple years in LA and like started to find a community, I, I noticed like around like 2017, you started making a lot of your own work. What like drove that push to be like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. I'm going to put my work out there and see what happens. I was making work before that, but I deleted it because it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it is wiped. <laughs> Obviously, when you get older, you're like, that needs to go. I found about, I found out about, okay, so I started Color Collective actually first. And that was from the LA Underground theater community page on Facebook. Like I would go online and like submit to Actors Access and stuff like that. And I was like, I was just getting all the auditions that I'm sure all other South Asian people get and are so sick of getting. I was finally like, I'm done auditioning. So I, after like five years of auditioning, I stopped. And then I was like, well, I still need to f- be creative because I'm, I'm not auditioning and I miss acting. So then, you know, I would go on these Facebook pages and they had a lot of stuff. I tried stand up for a little bit too. And I still want to go back to stand up because I, I love stand up too. So then Color Collective was posted by Roy Shockley and he was like looking for people who are diverse. And it was so awesome to see him. He posted, I just want to see a diverse sketch comedy group because it, 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 it didn't exist. Like it was like, I think there were like all black ones or all South Asian ones or all mm. like, you know, but like just immersed all of us together in one. So I'm, I met with him. I got with them. I started doing sketch comedy with them, but then I started like quickly writing sketches and performing sketches with them. And we were strong. Like they're still going. I was strong with them for like two years. And then 
Ayla Glass, who created, formerly known as Ladylike, now we changed our name to Bajancy because Lady Ladylike was taken. She created an all-female. So then it was like topping the all like diverse group. It was like all female women of color. I was like, oh my God, this is just keeps getting better. So then I started working with with her and like we've been creating, we were creating strongly too. So I, at one point I was doing both groups and then I was like, I'm depleted. <laughs> I, my energy level is at a zero. I'm not offering anything to either of these people. So I had to choose and you know, I just, because I'm such a female, like I wanted to just, you know, be with all women of color. Mm -hmm. And that's what got me around more women, women of color in sketch comedy that just like, really elevated everything for me, because I was like, I'm not alone in this. We're all experiencing the same things. And we're still all really talented and funny. And let's just start making content and like doing things together. So then we had like, we had a run at the pack theater for a long time. And then we just did it a lot of digital content too. And that's where I met Misha. And I think Misha Milani is the who you should totally interview. She's freaking amazing. I think she's the one who introduced me to the Sawi group. Oh, cool. She was like the first brown girl who was nice to me. Oh my gosh. I I mean that like finding women of color who like share your interests, that is so valuable. And when I saw that you I watched your how do you pronounce BIPOC sketch, which was hilarious that you guys did. And watching it, I was like, man, I wanna be I, I wanna do that too. Like I don't have that. Like that looks so fun. Yes. Get that going. We need more of that. Yeah. We don't need to be perfectionists about it. Just grab a bunch of POCs and get stuff done. There's so much mediocre white shit out there. We just need to start doing it. And I mean, keep doing it. We are actually we are everyone's doing it now, which is great. But yeah, no, she um, she uh, introduced me to Sawi and then and then I became more invested in all uh, of this stuff. And it's just really exciting. And I'm just so happy to be a part of it. And then you and Misha, you went on to create Patel Gating together, right? Yes. Misha was like, let's write something together. And I was like, yeah, I'm so down. And I think we wrote like a sketch together for the Furb Agency. And then I think we were just like, let's create digital content. And so we were brainstorming and I... This was before Family Karma. And you know, I was literally, I wrote that in my notes. I was like, can I just say, Family Karma stole your idea. Straight up stole your idea. When I watched the first five minutes, I was like, this came out before Family Karma. But I'm glad. I'm glad. I freaking love Family Karma. And it's because I'm, you just filmed it and put it out there. I mean, I don't know. Hopefully they saw it. Who knows? Maybe they had the same thing already in production. But the thing is, it's being done. And I'm just so I'm comes back June 2nd. I'm I watch that show. Like I know a lot of Daisies are like, that is not me. They don't represent me. Me, 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 me. It's like, shut up. At oh least gosh, they're on. Can we talk about that for a second, though? I do not like that this doesn't rep me. Like, people, a lot of people had to say that about Never Have I Ever. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, okay, but it's one person's story. And that's why we need more stories. Yep. Right. Like, I, and I'm talking to myself about this. Write your story because I, I, I need to write mine. You need to write. We all need to write it. That comes with a whole nother thing because I'm tired. I'm tired from work. <laughs> I am tired from learning all this other stuff. So it's hard to like, okay, now I have to write my story. Like, it's hard. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. But a white person's not going to know our story. And they're never going to write it correctly. Right. So it's, it's 
she wrote I mean, her story. Keeling is one person, so mm-hmm. she wrote her story. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mad props to her. And she's been writing since she's she was a kid. So, like, of course, you know, look at her now. Like, that's why when I have kids, I'm going to give them a hobby that can, they can be successful at. My mom didn't really do that. Like, yeah, like really nurture that hobby and be like, yeah, "Yeah, you want to do it? You're good at it? All right, let's go. I mean, that's why she's so incredible now because she's been writing since she was little and reading and writing since she was little. I mean, we'll do it. We're doing it now. So yeah, so you made the show. So when you and Misha sat down to like write it, what kind of things did you want to show in the story? And like, how did you decide to make it this kind of like reality TV type thing? Basically, we're brainstorming and I'm like, well, we've never seen... Well, oh, because I watch a lot of trash reality TV. I am one of those people. Oh, same. Oh, you are? <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I'm on Love Island all day. Bachelor all day. Yes. I just recently started watching The Bachelor. It's hilarious. I, I grew up watching like The Hills. I grew up watching Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Yes. So we were just like, you know, going back and forth and we're like, hey, we've never seen Indian people in this reality. Like I was like, we we need to be on TV. Considering the fact that I think at last year, South Asian people were the richest people in America. I don't know what what it is now today, but I know last year, like if you Googled it, South Asians were the richest people in America. So it was crazy to me that we didn't have a reality show. I was like, like most of y'all are rich. <laughs> like, you know, like most of them are rich. So, and that's what that's what usually everyone in family karma is loaded. <laughs> and that's what you usually see on these reality shows most of the time, like like the family ones. So then, you know, and Misha, of course, like her parents have a big house. So we're like, let's just let's film this. Let's create these characters. Like people we worked with were people we met at the pack. So that's why it's so important to just perform at, at local theaters because that's where we met these other daisies. So true. I was going to say, yeah, the two the two guys you had who played Pradeep and Abir, they were so funny. They were so good. <laughs> yes. The whole cast was amazing. They're all so good. And we all met at the pack. And actually, no, I met Pradeep's character. I did a CBS diversity workshop as a writer. Yeah, we just all came together. We're like, let's do this. And so me and Misha just, we wrote it. And we just were laughing the entire time we wrote it. We were just like, this is so funny to us. It's gonna like, we don't know if it's gonna land with anyone else, but we are cracking up. So we're just gonna go for it. Like, (laughs) Yeah. And as long as it makes like, if you as the writer think it's funny, then it's gonna be great. I just like, I like seeing Vases and not a serious light because I am not serious. Mm -hmm. I grew up wild. Like I was a wild child. I didn't follow the rules very much. And I love breaking the rules. So I, I like, that's what I wanted to do for like the, our stereotypes are just so annoying at this point. It's like, can we all just be loose and mm-hmm. we can, we can commit crimes and be bad. Like we can. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. not all Brown people are good. True. So. Yeah. And also like what you said about just like not showing Brown people in, in like a non-serious light, because like whatever representation we did have for a long time was like all these Dev Patel movies But we need that kind of like fun light stuff too to really round out the picture of what it means to be South Asian. And I just, I think to bring a sense of humanity too, like we can be bad. And do you plan to make more episodes of Patel Gating? I want to. Um, We need to reconvene. Like I know that Misha wants to too. It's just a matter of time. We actually started writing episode two where like my character (laughs) drinks and drives and gets in trouble and like, 
it's just it but it's funny and like and then it kind of like sucks out the fun because now family karma already exists so i don't know but it doesn't matter we can still create our own little version because like no one no one watched ours like even though i posted it everywhere one day it'll blow up and it'll be so funny because it'll be like, yeah, we made this like so long ago. <laughs> I, I promise you the one person who did see it is whoever like the executive producer of that show is. <laughs> well, I'm glad they made something out of it. So that's good. <laughs> they owe you some royalties. That only made me think, Nadia, you have good ideas. Follow fucking through. <laughs> there you go. It's actually like the biggest compliment. Yeah. Because honestly. you you were like, this is what I want to see. And then a year later, whatever, Bravo TV was like, oh, this is what people want to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, trust your gut. I'm like totally taking all the credit. Who the hell knows? <laughs> Could have been in pre-production five years ago. Who knows? Well, e- even if it was, you know, like you didn't know it existed. So you're, exactly. you're that's just so right what you're saying about like you knew what you wanted to make and people and the world agreed. So now you have made this shift. So you've been working as a casting assistant for a year. And how did you find your footing into that world? Because that's also a very competitive part of the industry to enter into. Maybe I didn't know it was competitive. And maybe that's why, because I didn't know. I went on NBC's website. So a lot of my opportunities have come from going on these big studio websites and looking for the diversity program initiatives, because Mm. that is like literally the only way (laughs) to get your foot in the door here in this industry. If you're diverse, you know, I had done all the acting ones, like I had auditioned for those. And I was like, maybe there's another outlet. It's so weird. Like, I was watching Joel Osteen this morning. Don't ask me why. But they're like, God always gives you a different way of, of finding your path. Like, maybe it's not the one you chose. Maybe it's not acting. You know, maybe it's not the acting. But maybe it's writing or casting or whatever. I think, I, oh, I was still serving. Okay. I was eight years into serving. And I was losing my freaking mind. But I was still serving at a restaurant. And it was eight years in. And I, I've been in LA for like 10 years already. And I was like, there's got to be another way. And I had done the CBS diversity workshop as a writer. So I was looking on, you know, ABC, CBS and NBC. And I saw the casting initiative. And I was like, you know, I could see myself working with actors like that would be something I could really do, because it would be so fun. I would be so understanding, because I've been on the other side. I know that I would have a lot of patience just because as much as I come off like a bitch or whatever, I'm fucking really nice. <laughs> you know, you like, do not you come up, a, you definitely come off as like the well, nicest person. <laughs> well, I know that I can just like say what I mean. And I know that like, yeah, I'm direct, direct. I know, like, I, I mean, I still haven't been able to work with actors just yet, because I'm just an assistant. But I know, like, when I do, I'll be able to just be nice. Because there's been a lot of auditions that I've had that you're like, you're in the room. And it's, they're not that nice. They don't make you feel welcome or comfortable. They're kind of tired or over it. And I wanted to like see change behind the scenes because at all the auditions I had yeah. been on, it was a white man or a white woman. I don't even think I've ever, I don't think I've ever auditioned for a black casting director. I know there Me are neither. some. Yeah. So like that should just tell you right there, like the ratios are off. And I was like, 
look like maybe I'm not going to make a difference in front of camera, but maybe I can do it behind the camera. And because like I said, I can't see myself doing anything else. I just knew I need to stick within this industry. And so I applied and I got a meeting with Jandis Cardoso and then she took a liking to me, which I was so grateful. You know, what's funny in that meeting, I was like, I'm not going to get this. And then, yeah, like, I'm like, I'm not going to get this. So I'm going to say whatever I want. That's like how you have to be. And it's so hard to be that way. I was in the room and I was just being myself, like talking to her about what what I want to see on TV, explaining to her, like, brown people can be bad too. Like, we don't always have to be the highest IQ on TV. We are not the freaking angelic human beings that we're portrayed on TV. I kind of just like, said what I felt in the room. And I think that's probably why she liked me. And so then I got a second meeting with Grace Wu and Brian Dorfman. And I was super nervous in that meeting, actually, just like really bad. (laughs) And but then I like sent a follow up email explaining how much I would love this opportunity. And because I actually watch NBC the most out of all of the platforms, mm-hmm. you know, when the office was on there and I'm a friends fan. So like when I used to watch friends and parks and rec, parks and rec, SNL. So like, that's like the channel that I've always loved the most. So, and mm-hmm. I love superstore too. So I was, you know, in the emails kind of just like talking about superstore and like all this stuff. And so then I started, uh, they, they actually placed me at the last office I worked at was I was helping with Superstore. <gasps> That's so cool. Superstore, yeah. it, my sister loves Superstore. And they, I feel like that is a great representation of like a diverse cast. It's true. It was so good. And now it's over. So yeah, so that's how I got involved. That's, it's very new. Like I'm still learning and still finding my footing. And and now I'm, because you're like, it's so uh, competitive and hard to get into. And I'm like, now I'm learning all that. So it's like another beast of its own where they're like, yeah, you know, it's hard to s- stay in this game. And I'm thinking, well, fuck, dude. <laughs> Why are they all so hard? <laughs> So I'm I'm really curious about since you've had like you know this all of this acting experience auditioning being out in LA and now making this shift to being really deep in the industry in terms of casting what were some of your like biggest realizations or moments or like mythbuster moments about the industry once you started the casting process I would say I I don't know if I can say that they're mythbusters cuz I feel like they might be things that everyone knows but it's like They are looking for the best performer, even though we think that they are going for looks. A lot of times they really are going for like the best performer for that particular role. They will choose the person who performed the best. It's such a tricky question because I'm still learning so much of of what goes on. Has it changed like how you approach any of your own auditions or how you think about rejection even me particularly no because I have problems with that but yes in general yeah they it could be the stupidest thing like that person is not tall enough yeah or like it's just so trivial that we shouldn't be taking it personal oh yeah and that they are seeing so many people for the smallest roles you are like in a a pool of tons of people so you could very well get lost it's not about you particularly you cannot take anything personal basically and it did take out the mystery of things like 
being able to see like, okay, we're doing a Christmas movie right now. They're looking for like the star power. But if this star power just did a Christmas movie, like, uh, you know, last year or two months ago, well, then that person's not going to, you know, it's stuff oh. like, like stupid stuff that you're like, well, so they just did a Christmas movie. So you can't do another one like dumb stuff or, or which I think if you're in this industry, you know that already, but like, okay, so this person has worked for HBO in the past. So they're probably going to get cast again in the next HBO project. Like, mm. like if you watch HBO TV or anything, Amazon, you see a lot of repeat actors that were in a different show for that was on that platform. You see them on a different show because they, if they've trusted you with that role in that show, they'll trust you again. So it is a lot of stuff like that where it's like, this person's got first dibs, even though we're going to audition like 40 people. And they're not telling me that. I'm just like seeing that and I'm picking up yeah, on it. You know? Yeah. Roughly, do you know what those numbers can look like when it comes to like how many people are submitted for a role and then how many people are actually seen in the room? Oh my God. So I can only take one example because I only got to work in one office and then pandemic happened. So right now- mm-hmm. Okay, for the office, we would see if it was like a one liner, we would see 30 or 40 sometimes. And then if it was a bigger role, then you see less because the pages are longer, right? So it's like a lot more time. So you're and you're going to see bigger names or like not bigger names, but more experienced people. So then if it's like a a character with an arc, we're maybe going to see 25 people. And then a lot of times it's going to be self tapes because it is hard to get people in the room. Maybe they're already working on set or maybe they have conflicting auditions. Who knows? So a lot of times it's self-taped. Now, right now, virtually, we're seeing a lot. Like, I mean, in the 50s or 70s for for one role, a lot of tapes. If it becomes like offer only for like bigger names or not even bigger names, there's just people who have been working, you know, then you just start looking at their reels. The producer or director might have them read for the role. And then that has to do with like the agents. So now the agents will be like, well, they don't want to read for the, like the actor might say, I'm not going to read for the role or the agent might say it. Cause a lot of times the agent's playing the bad cop. The agent's like, they're not going to read for the role unless you're offering the part to them. And that kind of stuff I didn't know about before. Like I'm learning all that stuff now. So yeah, like I didn't know what offer only was. I was like, what the hell does that mean? Obviously, yeah, it's, it's in the term. But you know, you, if you've been working for a while, like, and it's hard, like for actors, like they have to start making a decision as to when that is like, when, when do I start taking offer only roles? Like, when do I stop auditioning? It's so it's crazy. Also, I wanted to mention when I was doing it, it was on TV for the summer, it was called connecting, we did, a, it was a pilot. That was mm-hmm. insanity. We casted that pilot in like three weeks and we must have watched so many tapes. And then we did Zoom sessions, chem reads. So we had to like have the two of them reading in like one screen on a Zoom call. So that was insane. Wow. Three weeks is really fast for a pilot. What does a day as a casting assistant look like, like from start to finish? So it's like a nine to five, honestly, it, it's just basically you check, we check in at nine 30 and I'm speaking from a standpoint of working at home. Well, I guess I could talk from when I worked at the office for two months. You just, you get there at nine 30, you start to see you, there's usually a role that you were casting. So you'll, you'll start to like watch tapes 
And the casting director that you're working for will usually grade the the audition tapes. Really? Mm-hmm. On, on Actors Access, it's like A, B, or C. You'll most likely create a link of audition tapes for all the A's or all the B's, or you'll, you, maybe you'll give A's and B's, and then we'll send that to producers and directors, and they'll watch, and then they'll pick their faves. Whoever they go with, you do their paperwork. You also do recurring, recurring uh, characters and series regulars paperwork. So they're called deal memos. So you're doing their deal memos, has all their info, like, you know, personal info, and then how much money they're making. And Oh, that would be interesting to see. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> it is. You're, it's wild. Like, you're like, oh, wow. If you if you can do it as an act, if you can make it as an actor, I suggest because <laughs> that's where the money is. Obviously, <laughs> like I suggest if you can, anyone <laughs> just if you want to do anything, be an actor. Like no, I'm I'm serious. Like they make a lot of money. So, but I mean that's for like the bigger names. The smaller names right. are making they're making some change and then they're not working, you know, so then they have to save their money. So like, but that's a whole just different discussion, but yeah. So then, and you're doing their agreements. So you're doing deal memos agreements. And then sometimes there is a lot of downtime, but what, what you should be doing on your downtime is like either watching TV, like what are the new shows out Mm. and like looking for talent. A big part of it too, I guess, is like going to shows. It sucks because now, you know, live theater doesn't exist. But normally a lot of what I noticed from my coworkers is that they go to a lot of shows and watch and talent scout. So like if they go to sketch comedy shows or stand-up shows and they're like talent scouting and looking for like who's the new hottest thing on the scene so that they can cast them in something. So, but yeah, that's like a lot of the day-to-day like paperwork. It's a lot of paperwork. That's like one of the things that Jandis was saying in my interview. She's like, so just so you know, it's a lot of paperwork. Oh, and then of course, if we're casting for like a role, when I was working in office, we had like audition sessions and you know, that was when we got to see the actors. They could go from anywhere from like... 30 minutes to an hour, depending on how many people we're seeing, you know, and depending on if we're going to give them a, a redirect, I had to learn like how to operate the camera, which I wasn't that good at for that particular office. <laughs> I was so nervous. I kept like shifting it. She was like, just stop. I was like, okay, <laughs> whatever. But yeah, no, like it's a lot of, it's a lot of technical stuff and a lot of paperwork and, oh, and reading scripts. So like reading the next mm. episode, which this is why I I'm loving it because I love reading scripts and I love watching actors. So it's a lot of fun if you make it fun. Like the paperwork sucks, of course, but if you just get the paperwork done fast, like, I mean, don't do it fast. You have, you can't, another thing is you have to be detail oriented. So like organized, detail oriented, you, you should not be making mistakes because you're dealing with people's personal information. So and their paychecks. <laughs> so you should not be messing that stuff up. But yeah, but like, you know, watching their auditions and meeting new actors. I worked up in in person at the office for two months and it was so fun. Like we got to do kids. So like it was so fun watching the oh, kids. Oh, that would be really fun. They are like not even nervous. Like they're just having fun. It's just, it was, it's fun. Oh, so now that things are virtual, where, where are like, 
are casting directors still able to scout talent? Do they just like go on TikTok or what does that look like? Yep, I think so. Again, so I don't really get to talk to the casting directors too much because they're busy, right? So I'll Mm -hmm. be talking to the associate. I think the TikTok stuff is more for agents. I think the agencies are looking at TikToks and being like, oh, they're the next hottest thing. Let's sign them and then let's pitch them to the casting directors. Gotcha. I don't know if, I don't know if casting is watching TikToks and Instagram that much because I know that casting is they're more artsy like they're more artsy they're like no we want to see like an actual good actor like I don't right like we want to <laughs> see a play like we want to see yeah <laughs> I mean not to say that the tiktokers and instagrammers are not good because they probably are but yeah no I, I think that the agencies are are signing influencers more than ever so if you're trying to get signed by agencies and and managers then yeah I think TikTok, they're watching TikTok and I think they're watching Instagram and YouTube and like social media for sure. But we're, we're like casting, casting is going to see who agents are, are pitching. So we're going to just, we're going to go through our trusted agents that we trust. They have relationships. Like these casting directors have relationships with, with certain agencies. Obviously the big ones, they already automatically have relationships with those right like the WMEs and the girls yes. and yeah, all of yeah, those. Yeah. Exactly. But like smaller ones, boutique ones, they, you know, certain casting directors have certain relationships with certain ones. And, you know, they're like, I got I got this new client that would be good for this role. It's a lot of like pitches that casting sees. And they're like, okay, yeah, let's read let's read so and so for the role. So if your agents like I'll see these pitches and I'll be like, this is a good agent. They're mm. they're doing their job. They're pitching this. Even though sometimes I'm like, why did you pitch this actor for this? But then it's sometimes it 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 could work. Like maybe it was yeah. a, it is up to the agents to pitch us what's the newest client that they think, or not even new, what's good, what what client would work for this certain role. Or sometimes casting might reach out to the trusted agency and say, hey, we're looking for like someone who plays the banjo or we're looking for someone who plays the guitar. Do you guys have anyone? And then it could work that way too. Yeah. It's so interesting to get like all those different perspectives. There's the agents, there's the producers, the directors, the actors. I feel like the casting office is like really in the like eye of the storm when it comes to receiving all these different parts of the industry. It it's crazy. Like I did not know that. The associate I'm working for, the associate that I'm assisting, I've always feel so bad for them because they're trying to uh, make sure everyone's happy. Like usually, like a hundred percent of the time, the producers and directors want someone and then studio wants someone else. <laughs> mm. That that that's something I've learned too. And usually studio gets final answer because it's the studio who's paying. And, have the final say. Yeah. So it becomes that kind of thing. And then, of course, yeah, casting's just in the middle. Like, um, yeah, so we just want to make everyone happy. <laughs> yeah. At least with the people I've met in Chicago, like the casting directors are s- such nice people. And I feel like you kind of have to be if you're going to work well with your actors. I don't think it's like that in LA, though. <laughs> Well, the offices I've worked for in LA, they have been super nice. I'm just talking about when I was auditioning. But also, it could have been what I was projecting. It could have been my nerves. It could have been a slew of things. I got to work with Sarah Isaacson for connecting. And she's in Chicago. She's from Chicago. But she's super nice because she's from Chicago. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. I know what you mean. (laughs) Midwestern. 
we talked a lot about, you know, like the fact that the big one of the biggest reasons you are drawn to this industry is that like you want to see a change and you want to see more brown faces like in front of and behind the camera. And I'm like, so with you on that. And I'm interested to know from your perspective, what does progress look like to you on the casting side? Is it too late to start looking for that diversity once you get to casting? Does that need to start at the writing when it comes to writing those characters in? Or is there also room when you're in the casting process to like bring in more diverse actors? I think both. Why I think both is because there is a bias, whether it's unconscious or not. So these associates and these casting directors are going to like someone who I probably don't. And I'm probably going to like someone because I immediately am like, I feel like I connect with that person. One, probably because they look like me. And two, because I want more representation. And there's this thing right now of like, we should be intentional with our casting of diversity. And it's like, I disagree. Why do we need to be intentional about it? Why not just make that person brown or black? Why does it need to be justified? I don't mean, I I mean like, okay, if the lead, like, why does the lead always need to be white? Why can't the Mm -hmm. lead be black or brown? If the writer, if the writer didn't specify, especially right now, if the writer did not specify, we should be casting leads as brown and black. We just should. And we're not, still not. Right. My point is, is if I get to an associate level, I'm going to push for diverse. And then I'm going to find like incredible diverse talent. And that probably is getting lost because there's only a handful of diverse people that work and that are familiar with being on set because that's who the industry chose because they felt like it. Yeah. And they have kept them in the game, which is I'm happy for those people, for those 10 people. But it's like a select. Yeah, exactly. Like literally 10 people. So how else is the industry going to see anyone else if people that are not like me or like you are not behind the chair? As an associate, I could pick incredible diverse talent. I could pick and then I could send this to producers and maybe they did want Caucasian but like, I don't know, like someone needs to break the rule, right? Someone needs to break the rules right now. And it, I mean, I'm not going to be able to do it for a long time. And I know that, but it is with writing, but it is also with casting. It is. Yeah. It's with all of it. There are more directors now that are, there are more directors that are POC. So it's happening, but it's taking forever and a day. I will say a lot of these people you know, they don't want to lose their jobs or they don't want the competition. It's easy to keep us at bay. They have all the power so they can keep us where we need to be. It's going to take a long time. We all just need to keep doing it. And, you know, my dream is to open up my own office and then, you know, hopefully cast, cast big projects. And then uh, what is the spelling? What is the spelling bee movie right now with Definition, please. Definition, please. It should be sold already. It's not sold yet. So then you're, you're going to post about we don't have enough Asian repre- representation. It's like below whatever, right? They just posted that, right? People just posted that. 
but then they're not going to buy that movie. I remember I saw the the writer Sujata Day. She like yeah. reposted that and she like yeah. retweeted it and was like, "Hey, watch my movie." I saw her post that too, and I go, "Yeah, see, she's right." What are we doing? Don't tell us we're not making enough and we're not doing enough when we are, you know? So you're the ones that got to catch up, but it's going to take a long time and they do need to catch up. So yeah, I I think it is all of it and it's happening, but it's going to take time. I think one of the biggest things that you show me too, is just like, it has to be from all angles, all angles working towards that goal. It can't like just be the actor because I feel like that's kind of where it started. It's like, they were like, okay, well there's one brown face. So we did our job. But like everyone behind the scene is still white. So it's like the studio executive, the agent, like everyone. And now Netflix has a a Desi female uh, as like the head of the department of something. Oh, yes. Oh, I didn't know that. That's amazing. It's happening. But the problem is that they can't come in there and just do it, right? They can't just be like, all right, boom kick now I'm going to bring all my Indian or I'm going to bring all my South Asian people you know because then they're going to be the other people who hired her are going to be like so you're just being biased but they're always biased so it's like yeah (laughs) and I'm sick of watching white content like there are nowadays I don't watch it if it's all white I don't watch it or I hate watch it but it's changing I know like you know Tom Cruise gave gave his golden globes back so we're we're on our way (laughs) True, true. <laughs> we just we gotta we gotta stay loud. And look, I'm wearing I'm I'm marrying a white dude. I know. <laughs> like I know. I get it. I get it. And if, I had that syndrome too of like, oh, I wanna be the first. I used to I, I I'm gonna admit that right here. I want I used to say that shit to my I wanna be the first. I wanna be the first. Like that was so detrimental to everything. Yeah. I'm like writing down every South Asian female performer I see. I don't, I, I do it for the men too, but they have way more representation than us on TV they and movies. They really do. There's, there's so many shows that have like a, a, a cat, an ensemble and they'll have a brown guy in there, but yep. not a brown girl. Not a brown girl. No, I know. I, I'm going to advocate all the time for a South Asian female actress. I'm always going to do that now. Like, I'm like, come on, we need to get this done. Like we are coming together slowly but surely. And I think we can make a difference. You know, seeing statistics of, oh, we're not, we're not represented, we're non-existent. It's like, okay, so then what do you want us to do about it? We're trying. <laughs> They're asking for it. So like, you're dying for it. You're asking, you're for, asking it. for it. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> okay, Sorry. I don't think we can end on a better note than that. <laughs> No, oh my you're God. I love that it. you said that. Thank you for having me. And good luck with all of your casting. And I cannot wait for you to have your own casting office. And I'm be like, hey, Nadia. Yeah, I'm going to cast you in my first project. <laughs> okay, cool. I'm getting that in writing. Actually, no, I have I, it recorded. So. I am. I'm just kidding. I'm auditioning you. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. And that was The Brown Breakdown Season 1. Thank you all so much for listening. If you've listened to all 10 episodes up to this point, thank you for supporting this podcast. I'm so excited to bring on the new guests for season two and keep this going with your support. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me at Brown Breakdown on Instagram. And if there's anyone you really want to see on the podcast, let me know. Please don't tell me Mindy Kaling. I would love to have her on and I will try my best. If you know her, let me know. See you next time.